I had a friend come to me a number of years ago, and he asked me if I would disciple him. He wanted to get together once a month and do discipleship, do soul care, and he wanted me to be his discipler, and I told him no. I would not do that. I would not meet with him. Now, I didn't say it that way because that would be unkind. Now, we were friends, and so he did understand, but again, I didn't. I wasn't that short with him. You don't want to be harsh with people. And so I spent the next 30 minutes explaining to him why I would not meet with him in a discipleship context once a month. I call it doing Denny's. Denny's is a restaurant chain primarily in the United States, and it can be a popular spot, well, like Starbucks or any other place for that matter, where you meet with an individual and go through a book or meet privately to do discipleship. It's just not a New Testament model for discipleship. It is a way, but it's not the way that the Bible teaches. And so rather than just saying no, I spent the next 30 minutes explaining to him why that was not the best way for him to get what he was looking for. And while I appreciated his humility, I appreciated his desire to want to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The method that he wanted to do that is the most popular method in Christianity today. But that's a new popular method. It's not the way that the Bible teaches. And so I wanted to explain to him why it's not the best way and why there's another way. And I want to spend today's podcast talking to you about that. I have an infographic in this podcast, and if you do have time, I would love for you to go to episode 126. That is this episode. 126, the title of it is Good and Not As Good Discipleship Practices. And I would love for you to look at this infographic to study it for bonus points. I I would encourage you to share it with a friend. If you are in a small group or have a small group of friends, it would be a great conversation for you to have with your friends so that you can hopefully have a better vision and better understanding and ultimately a better practice in how you do soul care. Thank you for joining me for Life Over Coffee. That is the podcast you're listening to, and I am Rick Thomas. If you would like to talk to me Please go to rickthomas.net, and you can do that. We have public forums for anybody in the world. You can access me and my team. We are a 24-7 coaching center. We have a sanctification big box store shoved up into cyberspace where you can come and not only talk with us, but we have a lot of resources, and they're all designed to help Christians to be better Christians. We come alongside the local church to help the local church be better, do better at this idea of discipleship. And so if you want to talk to me about this or anything else, please go to our website and you can do that. But let me explain to you what I explained to my friend many years ago. Again, episode 126, good and not as good discipleship practices. Now, the problems that I'm going to lay out here and the solutions that I'm going to give, they're also the same problems that I have with biblical counseling or any kind of counseling for that matter. 
I have been outspoken outspoken on biblical counseling. I I had rather critique ourselves than to critique other people who are not like us. I know it's an easy thing to do to shoot at other people who are not like us, and there's appropriate times to bring critique to those things that are outside our community, but I think it is essential that we also address the log in our eyes. And when we're talking about discipleship, biblical counseling, those are popular things and they are good things, but we need to be open about the liabilities of these things as well. And so I have been outspoken about biblical counseling as much as I appreciate it. As much as I believe in the ideas of it, I'm also aware that there are liabilities. And my friend who was coming to me was, well, he didn't know it, but he was really falling for the liability. He he was going to experience the liability of one-to-one soul care because he just didn't understand a thorough, more comprehensive model, which is called discipleship that happens in the context of the local church. And so what I am talking about here applies to biblical counseling as well as these one-to-one doing Denny's meetings that we like because it does adapt to our fast-paced culture. We can get our discipleship fix on and continue to live frenetic, fast-paced lives but yet miss out on what discipleship should be as it's laid out in the New Testament and not benefit from it because we live too fast and we just don't spend enough time considering one another and caring for one another in the multi-context that God provides for us as we do life together. And so we end up not doing life together. We have these isolated one-to-one meetings And that is about as good as it gets, but that is not good enough, and it's not New Testament discipleship. And so I want to give you, well, seven reasons why I don't prefer this sub-biblical discipleship model. And I say sub-biblical rather than unbiblical because it's not unbiblical to meet with somebody and talk about their lives and and to work through stuff. It's not unbiblical at all, but it's sub-biblical, and there is a difference. The first reason is that it's an artificial context. It's not real world. You know, I tell my students in our mastermind program that when you're counseling a couple, they come in and they're arguing with each other, you have to do math. And what I mean by that is you have to multiply that by 10, because whatever they're doing inside the counseling office is... Well, it's times 10 in their homes. It's far worse in their homes because they're putting their best foot forward. It's an artificial context that does not allow you to see them in the real world. They come out of their real world and meet you in this artificial context to talk about their problems. And that's what doing Denny's is. My friend wants to step outside of life outside of his work life, family life, home life, church life, parenting life, marriage life, and he wants to come and meet with me privately to do discipleship. Again, not unbiblical, but definitely sub-biblical. Number one, one of the reasons is sub-biblical is that it's an artificial context. Number two, 
These are structured moments that miss out on spontaneous moments. We need both structure and spontaneity. We need dedicated structured times to talk about problems, but we also need spontaneous moments. Just a few days ago, Lucia and I and our children were walking downtown here in Greenville, South Carolina, where we live. And we ran into a couple that attends our church, and we stopped and talked 15 minutes on the sidewalk. We talked about our recent trip to Alaska. We talked about salmon and halibut. We talked about a number of other things, eating macaroni and cheese, for example, and a few other things. It was a spontaneous moment. You need multiple spontaneous moments where you can interact with people, not just with the individual, but I was there talking to the guy, talking with his wife. His daughter was there. You receive much more data when you meet people in multiple contexts rather than in these artificial moments with just an individual. And so seven reasons it's sub-biblical. One, it's an artificial context. Two, you miss out on the spontaneous moments. Three, you're lacking other helpful context to where you can collect data, not just walking downtown, but small group, cooking out, hanging out as families together, the multiple opportunities you have with a local church, babysitting their children, them babysitting your children, emailing and texting each other, you have other helpful context. Because what you want to know is you want to know as much as you possibly can about the person that you are helping. And when they come aside for an artificial context, you miss out on all of that. There's so much data. So often I have said, I wish I was a fly on the wall in their home so that I could really see what's going on with the individual. And if you only have one context to meet with a person, you're going to miss out on all of that kind of data. I want to be thorough in my counseling and my discipleship, and the way that you are thorough is you have other helpful contexts. So one is an artificial context. Two, you miss spontaneous opportunities. Three, you need helpful other helpful context in addition to this isolated meeting. Number four, it's a one-sided story. No matter what he tells you, it's going to be his perspective. And there are no two people that are going to give you the same perspective on anything. And so the more people that are providing their perspective, the better it's going to be. It's why, it's why I don't like, and as often, if I can get away with it, I will, won't do it meaning I won't counsel or meet with a man, a husband by himself, or a wife by herself. I want to meet with them together because, you you know, the Bible says that, you know, a person's always right until another person comes and states his case. Everybody has a different perspective on the same thing. And if you can get the other person's perspective, if you, if you can get four other people's perspective on the same thing, it will help you to help an individual. And so number four, it's a one-sided story. Number five, you don't do life together. 
you just don't have the interaction that you need with an individual. You need to be. Jesus did life together with his people. He didn't have a counseling office. He didn't sit there with a shirt and a necktie and a big honking wooden desk between him and Peter. No, they were in the milieu. The milieu means they did life together, and that's what you want. So number one, it's an artificial context. Number two, you miss spontaneous moments. Three, you lack helpful context to collect data. Number four, it's a one-sided story. Five, you're not doing life together. You're only doing one thing. You know, if, if every time I met with an individual and he pulled my tooth, I would get tired of meeting with this individual. I know when I meet my dentist, when I go to my dentist appointment every six months, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be the same thing. And it's, and it's not always warm and fuzzy because we don't do life together. We have one purpose for meeting. Number six, too often we go through a book rather than making it more personal. The Lord saved me in 1984. I've been saved for quite a few years now. And in all those years, I've never gone through a book with any person. I don't go through books with people. Paul said, you are a letter. You're known. You're read. People see you, read you, know you. You are the book. The book that I want to go through is the individual that I'm talking to. Now, I know that with some people that you're not comfortable with this, and I understand, or maybe you don't know how to unpack, unravel, de-riddle the mysteries of the heart, how to identify, isolate, ruling motives of the heart, and help a person. You don't know how to help them to put off that old man, that old person, and renew the spirit of their minds and to put on a new person that looks like Jesus. And I know that's a challenge. And so a book provides you some structure, maybe even a launching point, and, I, and that's fine. I'm not totally disdaining books and totally throwing books out. That is a way. I just don't do it. Now, there's other reasons that I don't do it. I mean, besides the fact that I want to exegete the person in front of me, not, not some book, but the other Reason is the pneumatic opportunities that people offer you when you meet with them. If you are in a book, you are in a topic, you're, you're running down one lane, and you can't move left or right because you can't get off topic because the book is about a topic. People aren't that neat. People are messy, and things happen in their lives, and sometimes you must deviate. Now, what you would have to do is just stop reading the book because you're dealing with another subject. The other thing is that after you meet with a person, you're going to collect more data. And perhaps you thought you wanted to go down this path, but after you meet with them for a while, you realize, oh, no, there's a more important path we need to go down. But you're stuck in a book. That's why, in my view, it's more important to exegete a person because it gives you flexibility. You're not stuck in a singular lane. You can move left and right, and you can give them more thorough care. And also meeting with them is harder because it's more personal. You can almost go through a book in a third-party kind of way. Talking about Biff and Mabel in the book, and, you know, there's a possibility that you might not ever talk about the individual that you're sitting in front of. Books can be a distraction that way. And so number six, too often we go through a book. Number seven, there's a singular purpose for relationship, meaning it's unidirectional. Unidirectional. 
meaning I'm providing all the counsel. That's not why I want to meet with a person ad infinitum, just me providing all the counsel, just me doing all the talking, just me doing all the unpacking. I would like for the other person to talk. I, I would like for them to unpack me. I would like for them to provide care for me. I don't want to always be talking about their problems. I would like to talk about mine. Biblical counselors have this problem. It's always them providing the soul care. Now, that is a great thing that they do that, but biblical counselors need soul care too. I want reciprocal relationships is what I'm saying. And if I met with that gentleman in an artificial context to talk about his problems and disciple him, well, good for him. I mean, besides all the limitations that I've mentioned thus far, there's one more limitation. He will be limited in his data for helping me. He will only hear one side of my story. He will not meet me in multiple contexts. He will not be able to hear from other people who know me very well. He would not be able to care for my soul. We have no other context for relational opportunities. And so point number seven, there's a singular purpose for a relationship, and I don't want just that singular purpose. I want it to be reciprocal. There is a better model for discipleship, and it's in the New Testament. Let me give you a few points, and some of these points are the anti-points to what I was just saying. One is many contexts for data gathering. I've already made that point in the negative, but the positive is, is that you can have multiple contexts, and you'll learn the person. Your soul care will be more effective. You're less likely to miss who the person is because so often, because we don't understand the person, because we don't know the person, our counsel can be ineffective. But if you see the person in many different contexts, you'll more, like, more than likely understand them and provide your best counsel to them. Number two, the reason discipleship is a better model than doing Denny's or biblical counseling is that you can have serious and fun times. You need to laugh. You need to get together and talk about nothing. You need to be superficial. By the way, some people have a hard time being superficial, and I know some people have a hard time being serious. But seeing people in non-structured environments can really highlight their fear of man. People who struggle with fear of man and other issues prefer structure, and this is the only thing that we're going to be talking about, and it requires, it doesn't require as much from them. They can't be spontaneous. They don't interact well with others. They're not comfortable in their own skin, and if you're in these unstructured, spontaneous, fun time moments, you will pick up on that quickly when you're helping another person, and so and the other thing is it's just not serious all the time. It's kind of like the dentist illustration that I was talking about earlier. I don't want to meet with you, and the only thing that you talk to me about is my sin. Or the other way, the only thing that I talk to you about is your sin. I mean, where's the fun in that? All the time. There's a place for it, but my goodness, we need to relax. We need to come apart and have fun, and rest, and do other things, because life is more comprehensive than just this singular thing. And so a better model for discipleship includes fun times. Go on vacations. Go for walks and just chit-chat. Play cards together. Go to a movie. But have fun times as well. Number three, there's more body participation. 
because everybody can't do this intricate soul care that I was talking about earlier, but everybody can participate. The woman at the well could only say, come see a man, but she got to play. She got to be part of the process with these people. Now, they, she, her intent was to bring those individuals in that town to the counselor, the one who could exegete perfectly. She couldn't. She wasn't an expert discipler at that point, but she could play. And what you want to do is you want to unleash the body of Christ to participate according to their gifting, where they are at this point with Christ. Maybe they'll become better disciplers in the future, or maybe they'll always have a limited capacity, but it doesn't matter as long as everybody is playing. Everybody is participating. And that also takes the load off the primary discipler. To know that there are 15 other people speaking into my friend's life and not just me, I know that transformation will happen more likely with more people participating than just me, and I don't feel the weight and the burden of all of that. And so everybody gets to participate. Number four, there is a possibility of reciprocal soul care. As we are meeting in these multiple contexts, I'm not only providing care for him, but he is providing care for me. And by the way, his wife can provide care for me as well. As they both interact with me, they bring two perspectives on my life. She may not counsel me per se. I don't know. It depends on the relationship, but she can talk to him about me and he can bring that care because my wife does that regularly. She sees things in people that I don't see. She shares those things with me and it allows me to provide better soul care to the individual. Or she talks to the wife about the husband and then she talks to me about what they talked about and that allows me to be a better soul care provider. There's possibility of reciprocal soul care on many levels here. Number five, it, re it releases the body according to individual gifting. I kind of said that before, but it allows everybody to participate is what I was saying earlier. But everybody does have different gifting, and you do want to release that in every individual. We don't expect everybody to provide the same kind of soul care. And with 15 people doing it according to their capacities, that can be a beautiful thing in the body of Christ. And then number six, it unleashes all of the one another passages in the New Testament. I have a mind map here inside this episode number 126, and it has the one another's listed here. When everybody is playing, all the one another's come into play. Let me work through the A through G in the one another's. Admonish, agree, appeal, bear, benefit, care, celebrate, comfort one another, commend one another, commune with one another, compassion, confess, confront, consider, devote, disciple, discipline, eat with one another, embrace one another, encourage one another, enjoy one another, equip one another, exhort one another, feed, fellowship, forbear, forgive, gather, gratitude, and greet one another. Those are just, that's A through G, just some of the one another's. You can read all of them here in this episode. But what it does is that if you're just meeting with Denny's, doing Denny's or doing Starbucks, doing one-to-one -one discipleship, 
unidirectional in an isolated artificial context, you don't release, you don't unleash all of the one another's in the New Testament. This discipleship model is a better model. One, many contexts. Two, serious and fun times. Three, all the body can participate. Number four, reciprocal soul care. Number six, releases the body according to their gifting, the body of Christ according to their gifting. And number seven, you can use all the one another passages in the New Testament. Now, let me wrap this up by giving the biblical requirements for doing this kind of discipleship over the one-to-one isolated model that people like because it's easy to do and we're fast-paced lives and it, it just doesn't take as much work. But if you want to do real discipleship according to how Paul taught in the New Testament, there are some biblical requirements. Here's seven of them. Number one, you must be passionate about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is about discipleship, going and making disciples. That is the Great Commission. We want to teach them all that Jesus taught the disciples. If you're not passionate about the Great Commission, you won't be passionate about discipleship. Number two, you must love God's Word because it is the tool. God's all-sufficient Word is the toolbox that we use to help people. Passionate about the Great Commission, you love God's Word. Three, you have to have a high view of the local church because you want the entire body to participate. It's one of the things that I told my friend. You're coming to me from another church, and you want me to disciple you. What I ended up telling him ultimately is you need to go back to your local church and to receive your soul care in that local church so that all these things can happen to you. And if your local church can't do that, won't do that, is unable to do that, maybe you need to find another local church. If you come to my local church, I will disciple you, and the entire body will come alongside you but you must have a high view of the local church, number three. Number four, you must love people. I had a small group leader tell me one time that he didn't, he didn't love people, and he was not repentant about it and had no plan of repentance, and I was appalled. I was offended. I was grieved for him, besides making an appeal that he stepped down from being a small group leader because he's not qualified If you don't love people, you shouldn't be in front of anyone discipling and leading them. You need to be before God in your closet begging him to give you a love for people. You can't disciple. You can't lead. You can't care. And you shouldn't be sitting up in front of people pretending if you don't love people. It is critical. Number five, you must have a lack of self-interest. Philippians 2, count others more significant. Esteem others more than yourself. You must have a lack of self-interest. Number six, you must be intentional. You must have peripheral vision. You must be able to see, as you're in all of these contexts that you can be in with another individual, you must be intentional. You must be able to see so that you can provide the care that you need in these multiple contexts. And then number seven, you must carry people on your heart. Hebrews 10 24 says, let us consider. Here's one of the one another's, by the way. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We want to consider people. 
We want to carry them on our hearts. Passionate about the Great Commission, love God's Word, high view of the local church, you must love people, a lack of self-interest, you must be intentional, and you must carry people on your hearts. If you would like to talk about this podcast, I would love to chat with you about it. There's a way to do it. Go to rickthomas.net. Say, hey, Rick, I was listening to episode 126, good and not as good discipleship practices, and I was really intrigued. I have a question that I would love for you to answer. Will you do that? If you're not a supporting member of our site, you can go to our community forum and you can get your question answered. Me and my team are waiting for you right now, and if you ask it, we will answer it. By the grace of God, we have never turned anyone away. And by the grace of God, we never will. Go to our community forum, get your username and password if you haven't done that already, and then ask your question, and it would be a joy to serve you that way. If you are a supporting member of our ministry, well, God bless you. Thank you for supporting this ministry. You underwrite it. We spend hundreds of hours every week working, providing these resources for you, and we could not do that without you. Oh, by the way, if you don't support us, would you? For as little as $5 a month. may not be a big deal. It is a big deal to us, just $5, with many people supporting at $5 a month. It helps us to provide more resources. And if you are a supporting member, we have a private forum for you. Go to the sub-forum that says, Talk Directly to Rick and His Team. We're waiting for you there. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.